I think it depends on the level you're explaining it, right? Like if you're explaining it to grandma, you probably want it simple. You probably want it like you can use a metaphor. It doesn't really matter. But if you want your metaphor to you want you want to explain it to someone who actually needs to understand, like if you're explaining it to your CEO or your CFO, what it is that your team does. I don't think it's enough to use a metaphor. I don't think it's enough to explain it in a simple manner. I think it's important to talk about your outcomes, which is complex, and also to talk about what the team actually does to achieve those outcomes. Um, and that, like, I, it's so. So here, here's one of the issues that I personally have with a lot of the content that's out there is that. What people tend to consume are short articles. There are posts on LinkedIn, there may be Twitter threads, but it's easy to consume, it's short, and you don't get the amount of depth needed to truly understand what it is that the people are saying. Product Growth Leaders proudly presents Product Conversations. I'm Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. On a weekly basis, we explore product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello, everybody. Grant Hunter here with another Product Growth Leaders conversation. May, I don't know if you follow Deepak Diolecker. He's he's really come on with writing some good stuff. And the other week he shared a, tw a tweet where he said that my favorite metaphor for product management is a bakery. And he actually went through a thread and actually had some really good examples about new product lines moving from big cakes to cupcakes and stuff like that. And it got my mind thinking, right? Wouldn't this be a great topic for our conversations? I mean, we're always trying to find ways to talk to people. What do you think? Well, Grant, I always say that a, <laughs> a, a metaphor is like an inside joke. You have to get it to get it. Um, and I feel like, <laughs> yes, metaphors are great, but I don't know. I'm not sure if um, it is the it necessarily the best way to explain product management, partly because metaphors generally do carry a lot of cultural context. And yep. in order to make it a little bit more accessible, you have to kind of explain the metaphor a little bit. Um, and also, you know, what might be a bakery in North America might be very different in the rest of the world. So ah! I think, it, like, what is a cupcake? <laughs> that, that is a, you know, I feel like I should be going to the EI training right now because I didn't even think about the uh, the fact that a cupcake may be different in China than it may be here. But I think that's a great point that it's an inside joke, isn't it? it right. The metaphor works for people who get it and understand it. Otherwise, it's sort of sitting out there until they can see. So this week's topic is explaining product management. And I will be honest, it started with the metaphor question and then one of our guests, Mr. Davis, <laughs> came at me. Well, I, so did Saeed, who's not here today. <laughs> I'm channeling Saeed. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I wanted to broaden out to be explaining product management. But we did put this question uh, in the uh, community on Monday. What is the best metaphor for explaining product management? And, uh, you know, some has some really good questions coming back. We had Yusuf... Uh, say it's the quarterback of the team. Uh, Jason Vincelette came uh, and used a restaurant analogy. And Nils, I'm going to go to you. But before we get to your non-metaphor or analogy, I want to, you talked about the executive chef. And I, I'd like to sort of dig in on that because it's something that resonated with me. Again, maybe it's an inside joke. Great. So it's, uh, thanks for asking me, Grant. And um, I, I'm happy that I was able to make some waves in that conversation i was trying to be very polite about it so i hope hopefully that it didn't come off as like i was attacking or anything but um so the executive chef is actually a really interesting metaphor restaurants are great metaphors for lots of things related to product management as deepak obviously thought as well because a bakery is a type of restaurant in my opinion um <laughs> the, but it also illustrates the problem with metaphors so the executive chef is actually the boss so the executive chef can say 
tell the team to do something and they will do it. That's just the way it works. And the one place where that restaurant metaphor breaks down for us product managers is we're not the boss. We just have to, we have to lead by influence. So that's the first thing I want that, that came up in an earlier conversation today. Um, and I wanted to just mention that, but so the idea of the restaurant as a metaphor for product as a whole is that it really, it, it, uh, you know, what is, what does a restaurant do? It creates food that people buy. Well, what is, what's a product business? It creates a thing that people buy. So we have to be able to attract people into the restaurant. We have to build the thing that we, you know, we have a menu that says, here's what you can buy here. And in the kitchen, we have to make that thing that, that matches what we set on the, on the menu. And if we want to beat our competitors, other restaurants, or if we want people to come back, it has to be good quality. It has to be tasty. Just like, you know, so there's many reasons that the metaphor is great. And the, the final reason, which is actually my favorite reason that the metaphor is great, is that Alan Cooper in his book, The Inmates Are Running the Asylum, which is about user experience design, he used a waiter in a restaurant as his example or metaphor for how our, our product should be polite. And in that we, there, he, he, has, he has 14 different ways that products should be polite. Um, and he, and they all are exhibited by how a, a good waiter treats you in a good restaurant and what the experience is like. And I, so that's one of the reasons I lo always love that metaphor. Also, <laughs> I, if you, the, the final reason is if you are trying to have a fine dining restaurant and you have a kitchen that has a stove with one burner, the rest are broken, the oven doesn't work. There's one person, the refrigerator's on the fritz. You can't have a fine dining restaurant, no matter what your ambitions are. Unless you're Hiri who dreams of sushi, because he just has a bar at the train station, right? Well, have you? I mean, <laughs> yeah, no. He has a he has an operation. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm I'm, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I tend to use restaurants a lot too. Even in our product strategy class, I use when building a strategy and a vision. I use a, a local restaurant. I used to be friends with the owner of mm -hmm. as an example. And for me, it always was. I I like it as a product strategy versus the actual delivery of the product. We can build a concept that sounds really good for a product, but if we can't deliver on that, and for some reason for me, it's always lobster mac and cheese, right? Lobster mac and cheese always sounds so good when it's mm -hmm. on the menu and most people can't deliver on it. And that's sort of like a product execution thing. But let, let's give you a second right here. You also like said you like to be straightforward and you had a very quick, simple, concrete way. What's your sentence you use yeah so this is this is a sentence um product managers find and validate market problems we're solving create solutions to those problems and take the take the solutions to market and we and the second sentence is really really the finding the and validating the problems is mostly our responsibility building we work with teams and selling and go to market we work with teams boy you you just defined the product management triad there didn't you product strategy product planning or technical product management and product marketing so uh, I, I liked I liked your simple sentence. It would have been a much shorter call if we just went with that. Uh. <laughs> you, but you can still write. The thing is, each of those is like infinitely deep. Each of those. No, I, I, I agree. Uh, Jason Weber, so good to have you back. Uh, I loved you. I never thought of the detective metaphor. So talk me through the detective metaphor. Well, I... The... Back to what Nils just said, it's it's uncovering unmet market needs. When people talk to me, I don't have a lot of great metaphors for it, but a detective is one of them, is you're trying to unearth clues that people don't necessarily want to give up, that people are going to hide, and not because they're trying to be, you know, anything like that. They're not trying to be nefarious or or, or hold things back. They just don't necessarily even know why they, they do things the way they do what they want. And so we as product people have to uncover, we have to constantly ask why. But, um, uh, and so from that aspect, the, the whole product strategy, product definition, I like that one, where some of the others fall out. And I think we, you know, we hit this a little bit is product managers generally are not, they're leaders, but they don't have direct reports. They don't have the ability to directly make things happen. It's all through force of our personalities. I think somebody else who's not on the call said it was hurting cats when the cats are all rabid or something like that in the <laughs> comments. And it, that's a, there's a lot of truth in that. And so when people 
because that detective metaphor only goes so far. And so I generally go to examples. What are some of the best products that you've seen that have been disruptive that solve problems that people didn't even know? The Wii is a great example. Nobody thought that they needed a video game system that didn't have great graphics and wasn't the latest and greatest, you know, shoot 'em up thing. But the product people, and I don't actually know who at Nintendo went through and did the work on this, they opened up an entire category of, of users by bringing this product to market that was, you know, your grandma could play the Wii. Nobody thought to sell a video game system to your grandma. I mean, those are the types of things that, that I use as examples that people latch on to. I mean, there's so many of them, the DVR, the iPod, you know, just you can go one after another, the, the iPhone. So as, as I like, I've been starting to try to write about product management in, in the real world, right? When we see things it's yeah. like, oh, wow, that makes exactly. sense. And, yep. and many of those things are when people have left a, a market that they thought was already penetrated and, and found and created a new market where people weren't. And I've got a book on my shelf called uh, Grassroots Strategy uh, by Jeff Bennett and Derrick Fleming, one of my favorite books. I also know them. So it's, you know, personal, actually, I just sent one to Saeed. Uh, and they talked about how the, the, the dog food industry thought it was totally mature and you weren't going to have any growth <clears throat> yet. They went and talked to people who made their, didn't buy dog food, made food for their dogs And this whole new category of dog food came up, which was farmer's friend or whatever it may be. It was like real food for the dog instead of kibble for the dog. And it created a whole new category. The growth came from finding why people aren't in the market. That's product yeah. management. I, I love going with the real thing. As for detective, I often use journalist as a background people come from, but it's a similar thing, right? How do we go yeah. in and ask questions and learn things and in and, and figure things out? So there's another there's another great book that's older that that I always liked it was called Blue Ocean Strategy. Yeah. It's it's how do you get out of the red ocean where all the sharks are fighting each other and, and create a new market space. It, and it's got some great examples. It's a little dated now, but it's still it's the same concept. It's essentially yeah. I mean, mo moving from the buggy and horse to the car—that's how old. No, it's not that old. But uh... <laughs> but getting down to the real reason that people aren't doing what you know, why why aren't they in that market? Why aren't they doing it? Why isn't it accessible? Are there is there a group of consumers that you could open up to that? you never had before. There's there's all sorts of things. And that's that's why I jumped to the detective analogy. No, I, I love it. I I really do. And, and we're gonna go from one thing I had never thought of, a detective analogy, to another, a fan. May you used a fan as the analogy for the impact of product management. Talk to me about product management and fans. So uh, I I think Metaphors have a place, and generally speaking, the bigger the metaphor, the the easier it is to find holes in it. Uh, but I like to think about more how how can we create effective product managers, especially when we're designing our organizations. So let's say a product manager is a fan, right? And a fan blows in a certain direction, and it's hot. So like you gather around the fan where it's cooler, and it makes it easier for you to work. You um start working in the right direction but what's really important is where you put the fan in the first place and the direction that that fan is pointed towards right okay. so that's about like how, how do you it, it's about creating a right corporate strategy to inform your product strategy and to give that that fan your your product manager the right guidance to select the right direction. So maybe it's a smart fan and it like adapts um, the direction based <laughs> on like what's needed. Um, maybe you could put the fan on a Roomba so it can like change positions according to the data that's being collected on the sensors. But it's about really informing your position and direction. Um, to build towards but also like that's what product managers do you reduce the overall friction and the mm -hmm. heat between the team so people can actually do the work is the fan actually doing much work no not really like you're not actually building anything but you mm -hmm. are definitely there to provide a direction if people can still build without you yeah. it's just like it, it doesn't set a direction it doesn't tell people this is the optimal place to build and all of a sudden I'm thinking about building on that. And it's like, if you think about a fan, if you're working with the fan, it actually helps propel you and you, you get benefit from it. And if you're working against the fan, it slows you down and you have more friction. 
Uh, I even like the analogies you used for the manual hand fanning fan. You're hand holding the team too much. The standing fan. Oh, no, no, the broken... not the hand holding team. But like, think of it. If you're, you're, if you are hold, the one holding the fan, you're yep. not the one working on the thing. It's probably a leader holding the fan, like making it do yeah. the work, and you're not doing the work that you need to do, which is like putting the fan in the right place and then going, freeing yourself up to go do the actual like other work that you need to do. So, because um, it's it's about like how much effort you need to put in. Is that fan stuck in one direction and blowing that one direction, and like you have to actually go in a, again manually turn it around to do things, or is it like a rotating fan that just like blows everywhere but isn't really terribly effective because you're not focused? Is it like a nice dirty box fan that does exactly what you want? blows in the right direction at like a good amount of speed or is it a jet engine that just like is way too powerful and no one can work with them did, did, <laughs> did you have this away. did you have this fan analogy before the question or did this no i through... came up with it <laughs> okay i because i wanted to know the origin story now i know the origin story are you have a comment yeah um i i know i didn't um comment or vote on the original topic, but this is something I always have a lot of trouble with. Um, in fact, when I interview PMs, one question I often ask is, how do you describe product management to your grandma? Because I have never been able to do that well. Every time I talk to her, she has a different, she asks the same question, I explain it slightly differently, and it doesn't stay. Um, but, and I definitely agree with May, there's a ton of inside jokes that make a description or a metaphor work or not work. Um, the one way I think about it, and I would define it, I guess the simplest way I can think about it is a product manager is someone who cares deeply about understanding problems and navigating to value in a world of complexity. Um, and the other thing I'd say with Tamay's fan point, I, I love that analogy. And I think I, I PMs, yeah, we don't really do a lot, but we also do a lot of intangibles where like, yes, we don't like design the final product. We don't code up the final product, but we are the ones that protect the process and make sure our team can build the right thing in the right way. And the fan is pointing where it should, going at the right speed. It's, you know, hitting the people that we need it to. And it's the right temperature. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I'm going to go with, you know, sort of how do you explain, I always say product management is about, you know, maximizing the value we create for the market and for the company, right? Mm -hmm. we, we help make those decisions and we empower the organization to go get it. Uh, Danny is not here, but she did come up with maybe the mic drop answer. She said product management is like herding cats, except for all the cats are feral and hostile. Somebody re referenced it earlier. I want to send people who aren't watching this or haven't been in the community to the community because uh, Clay Nichols put a great link in for uh, an EDS commercial on, on herding cats, which I hadn't seen before, but like, wow, pure gold, as Danny said. Jason, you said best answer. So I wanted to call that out. Uh, Clint, you came up with captain of the ship. Uh, talk to me about the leadership uh, you're you're looking at there for the captain. Yeah, so I mean, perfect example. I'm sure you guys all saw over, I think it was the last three or four days, there was a uh, a um, ship, a cruise ship that got stranded. And uh, In Greenland, all the yeah. were extremely less than enthralled about their $25,000 payment that they made to go on this cruise ship and they ended up getting stranded and have to get pulled off. So I thought that was a, a good example of what went completely awry. But I look at it from a product management perspective. We really are the captains of the ship, right? We need to define where we're going, how we're getting there. We talked about problem solving, right? So a lot of times you've seen when there's bad weather out there, the captain has to make a pretty significant decision about what do they do? And a lot of times in a, in a storm or in a hurricane, they were supposed to go to a number of different ports and they have to reroute and they can't go to those ports. So they not only have a problem that they have to solve with regards to safety for their passengers, but you've got a lot of pissed off passengers that spend a lot of money. So you have to figure out how do you basically provide them with some type of process or you know refund or credit on future um, sales that gets mm -hmm. them happy, right? So it can go from something that goes terribly wrong um, where they're never gonna go on that cruise ship again or they're never gonna buy your product again 
versus you've developed something based on needs and really understanding your customer and defining the requirements to where it's a positive experience and they're going to rebuy and rebuy and rebuy. So, and you've got a lot of different players, right? You've got the engine room, you've got the stewards, you've got the staff. Um, to me, a ship is an amazing kind of centralized process unto itself. I mean, there's like typically almost as many crew members as there are passengers on a ship. So keeping that thing all running and happy is just to me would be like the ultimate program management type of, uh, of story. I've got so many ways I want to go with this one. One is sort of all, I'm going to sort of do a nod back to Nils and the customer. I mean, one reason I like the restaurant is it, it brings the customer experience play into. It's not just the product itself. It's your whole experience you have with it. And the cruise ship is definitely there. The second is I, I was reading When by Daniel Pick, Pink, which is about like science about when you should be doing stuff. And what they, what he has, or somebody has hypothesized is that the captain of the Lusitania the reason why that he made decisions that led to them getting sunk was purely because it was the afternoon and not the morning and his decision-making was bad because research shows it's there. And it, then how does decision-making impact us? And I'm going way off stream with that. The third and final one, which I do want to dig into is, and I'll come back to, because I want Amy to give a chance before I, I sort of divert us, but it, I want everybody thinking about, we've talked about already, Captain is the captain. People report up to the captain, right? The executive chef, like Nils talked about it. How can we portray product management in this leader role when we really don't have the accountability or at least the control over the, the staff? So think about that. I'm going to go to Amy. Amy, welcome. Uh, you've been listening to a whole bunch of people talk about how they try to explain product management. Uh, has anything resonated? Do you have something you use? Um, I do, but like, I apologize. I wasn't on the, I haven't been pondering this the whole week. I don't know where you guys are all writing on the site. I just joined. Um, but the way I usually describe it is that, well, first of all, in tech, I find most people are players of chess, but I always encourage them to think of the game Go, which is actually, um, I think, more representative of chess, I'm sorry, of product management in the sense that one, there are different rules based on country, even though most of a certain region plays the game and it is less procedural and inevitably, no matter what product group I've been a part of, there is an emergency, um, either employee, like attrition of a major client, or there's a new legislation or there's competitive intelligence or there's in a data integration that needs to be done ASAP due to a sales deal. And I think that approaching it just procedurally as a project manager is where products fail and that it really needs to be kind of looking at the whole board and recognizing that you have to keep all of the different kind of a 360 degree view, keep them all active and monitor and recognize a move here does influence kind of the continent or like the blob on the other side of the board. I, uh, it's not, a, it's not a great metaphor, guys. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, I like it. I, I haven't played Go in a long time. I oh, have to go back okay. and, 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 and do it again. I mean, I've heard people use, uh, I'm, I've leaned into Annie Dukes in, uh, you know, using poker as an example as well. Right, because we're making decisions with un incomplete information. Uh, but you know, we're gonna. I'm gonna have to go check it, check out Go and 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 May. You were nodding your head, and you 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 sort of it resonated. Oh yeah, my brother is really into Go. He teaches Go. So um, yeah, no, in, in Go, a single move changes the whole game across the board. I think that's a fantastic analogy. Um, anyone who plays Go understands it. Like that's why it was such a big deal when there was an AI who can like consistently beat go players um yeah no that, that's a fantastic analogy well amy thank you for coming in strong for your first one and don't worry you know sorry for not doesn't matter. i don't know where that is so if someone could show me afterwards that would be great yeah, we'll, 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 we'll we'll get a link into the chat you can see where it did we just do it in the community and, and on monday it goes up so uh but awesome uh i want to go back to that question and i'm going to come back to you nils because you you sort of referenced it with your executive chef 
uh, example. And, you know, how Steve likes to use the orchestra conductor example. And the reality is the orchestra conductor still is the, the leader who's responsible for the whole thing, where often product management is not. We, 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 you've seen people shy away from CEO of because of this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How do we properly get people to understand this sort of influencing other people who don't report to you aspect of it? Yeah, I just I just wrote that exact question in my notes. What is a good metaphor for a leader without responsibility? And I don't, nothing is leaping to mind at the moment. And hopefully, I'll think of something. But yeah, all the all the leaders that we know of that we sort of, um, and this actually probably goes aligns with the fact that there's no such thing as a famous product manager. The leaders that we know of are actual lead, are actual bosses generally. Steve Jobs, right? He was a great yeah. product manager and a thinker and a leader, but he was also the boss. Yeah. Um, and even Elon, you know, whatever, however you feel about him, he's the boss. He makes the decisions and and good or bad. Right. Yeah. Well, right. And and we're seeing some of the some of the problems that can arise, right? <laughs> if uh, if your vision, if your product visionary is also kind of an idiot in some ways, um, but you know the rockets still take off apparently. So whatever. Um, I. I don't exactly know. I, I mean, I, I think there are examples of people who become leaders. And, and what often happens is that if they're good at leading, they become the boss. And actually, we experience that as product managers, right? We say that we don't have authority. But the reality is, if I ask my team to do something, they will do it a lot of the time. Yeah. Not always. You know, I, can't, I can't hire and fire them. But... Oftentimes they look to me as for the answer or they look to, or, or they take what I say in the same way they would take what a boss would say as, as a directive that they must do. I, it's, there's, I, there's gotta be like Daniel Pink or Adam Grant has probably had to have written something on, on this type of stuff. I mean, the first thing I thought about is like even wartime type stuff. You see people who are not the technical leader Mm -hmm. in in times of stress step in and, and be able to bring people together right uh I'm, I'm reading adam grant give and take right now and it seems like you know the goodwill you build as a giver maybe is something that helps you uh get to the place where you need to be to do this uh, other anybody else have thoughts on this i think just on the point of of we're not always accountable it's, I think, a matter of influencing, right? You have to, as a, as a product manager, you have to have the ability to, to influence and to collaborate across multiple functional disciplines, right? I mean, people always ask me, what's your special sauce? And that, to me, that's my special sauce. I can talk in depth about production operations, um, supply chain, procurement, engineering. I think that's the value that you bring as a strong product manager is that you're not simply focused on developing a product, but you understand everything that goes into that. They understand that you have to work with service if it's a hardware-based product to ensure that if the product breaks down, it can be fixed and not take your customer down. So that influencing, collaborating is such a huge part of our core DNA and makeup that makes us successful and is something that really is something that's not taught enough, I think, relative to our, our skill sets that we're, you know, that people look to us to bring to the table. And I think you start getting into empathy, right? And compassion and understanding what other, those other functions are going through and how you can help them. I, it's, it's tough. Jason, any thoughts? I don't think I have any additional thoughts that I haven't shared. I mean, we've had some fun in the uh, chats going back <laughs> and forth about things about, you know, lobster mac and cheese and, 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 and the, the one that we've been, that, that's most recent is that most product managers are not formal leaders. I mean, uh, even me, who has a leadership role in my company, software development doesn't report to me. So yeah. influence. And I think to it was Nils comment, you know, you, you ask people and they just do it. That's because as a product manager, you have to build up that respect, the, yeah. uh, the influence. I mean, I had, I had people who were, you know, they, they thought I had control over their career where I had none, but I mean, that's, I guess that's power in a way, but you need to build that up in order to be able to effectively do your job. And I know I'm taking us down in a completely different path here, but it, it is something that is so important that people wanting to get in the product management profession have to understand is you have a lot of 
responsibility lumped on you. You have a lot of um, uh, people looking at you and, 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 and so much stress involved with that, but yet your ability to accomplish what you want to is about force of personality more than anything else. You need to yeah. be charismatic. And we talked about leaders, you know, who are, you know, product leaders that moved up into leadership roles. They, they had a force of personality, no matter what you think of some of those people, they, that's, they do that. And a lot of the success, I dropped the, uh, the iPod before, you know, Steve, Jobs is a huge amount of responsibility for the success of that because of his force of personality and his strategic vision and the ability to understand the market. And so he's yeah. a really good example of a, of a product leader. So. Yeah, but yet he was still the CEO. <clears throat> so everybody eventually reported up to him so he could get stuff done. Well, he also founded the company. So, yeah. I mean, even though he was fired once and rehired again, he, he founded the company. So, and, and you look at that and even um, um, the founder of Microsoft, um, whose name completely Bill, escapes Bill me at Gates. the moment, Bill Gates, he wasn't a product guy, but he understood the value of the operating system much more than the people at IBM. And he had a vision yeah. and a strategy and it paid off pretty well for him. No, so. I get it. May, you want to say something? I against that. Um, okay. So at, at a certain point, this works. However, uh, a cult of personality is not scalable, nor is it reliable. Um, and the reason for that is because, like, if you have to independently build your own credibility every single time you have a new person join the company, that is not going to work out because, and it really limits the, um, like, who you can hire. If you need a subject matter expert in your market for that specific case, um, and that, and it, it's, in that field, say you're you're working with actuaries, right? Like it's really hard to find a charismatic actuary who understands the technical side of things and is able to like build a team and like influence without power. And I think this is where building that team culture really comes into play. If you set the expectation that here are the roles and responsibilities and here's how we work together. Um, and that is a system in which you work and that's a system in which how you build all of the connecting pieces together. That has a lot more staying power and allows you to have a lot more freedom in terms of who you hire without <clears throat> needing to reestablish like that sense of um, how you work together every single time. And I think it's really important to think about like, Yes, you are setting the stage with your your power, your presence now, but how do you make it so and scale it so that other people can uh, piggyback off your work, especially when you are trying to grow your team? Because um, it doesn't make sense to start from scratch every single time you introduce a person, right? So it's about intentionally creating systems that allow you to scale that culture, that cultural expectation of this is how we work together. Um, and yeah, it takes a lot of social capital, but it's not necessarily <clears throat> like something that we independently have to do over and over again. And it's not something we would, we should want for our career. No, yeah. no, it's you're pushing that route, the, that, that rope uphill or whatever analogy you want to yeah. use for that. Yeah. I think this is, sorry, Grant, I'm just jumping in, but this is why so many companies are successful with individual products, but have a lot of trouble scaling up because just the individual one, and well, and, and we've discussed it, and this is the whole reason that Grant's business exists. There's a lot of companies out there that are not good at product management. And so they have to start somewhere. And you fortunately have had the, um, uh, the, the privilege of working for companies that have been able to, you know, to work to scale it, to have a position like somebody like you there. Um, uh, a lot of companies are not at that point in their maturity of the product management cycle. So, okay, and, I'll stop and I, now. Lear I learned as much <clears throat> from the big companies that did it poorly as I did the ones who did it well, because I think part of my, where I've established myself was that I was the guy who came in and did what I consider good product management, Steve would consider good product management. I talked to customers, right? And too often the hubris we have is once we figure the market out, oh, I know it, I know everything. And the markets change and, and needs change and problems change if you don't keep doing that. Uh, I think for me, it, it, it is, you know, as, as May said in there, failure is a good teacher. And, I, you know, I've had my failures and I've had my successes and I've learned as much from my, 
from those as I have from any system I got from uh, one of those big companies. Uh, you know, I can still look back and I've learned and taken the best from some of those places. But, <clears throat> I, you know, uh, as you guys were talking, the one thing came to mind, maybe the best analogy is a captain of a sports team, right? Your your job is to get the team working together, coming together, build a culture among the players, but none of them report to you. You're doing it through influence and, and through leadership. So I'm going to throw that out there and we're going to move to the poll. Uh, and since Steve is not here, I'm going to have to pin myself so people who can't see it can see it. Uh, and uh, the question we asked, and this is sort of the, the pivot uh, of it is what is the best approach to explain product management using metaphors uh, describe in a very simple concrete way show them your actions and explain uh, what it is too late product management is lost and that was for a former uh, panelist who who told me that one time uh, and then other it depends uh, and you see me I voted for using metaphors and that was a mistake uh, I don't know what I was going to vote for but I was trying to copy it so I could share it in uh, LinkedIn and it voted for me. So I was the first vote in this time. But since nobody else who voted for metaphors is there, uh, I'll sort of do my uh, take on it. And it's sometimes metaphors is the best way to cut across people who don't have understanding. Uh, if they haven't worked within our business, a metaphor can often be a, a way to help people understand. Deepak, who... Uh, sort of was the inspiration for this, did that with his bakery metaphor, whether it's a restaurant metaphor or captain of the ship, uh, fan, whatever it may be, you know, sometimes metaphors are help people see things they don't understand. So I'll, I'll do it for that. Uh, we got a couple, uh, Clint, do I see you there on describing it in a very simple, concrete way? Yeah, that was, uh, that was mine. I mean, people, you know, ask me all the time what it is. So, you know, I try to define it as that, you know, we develop value-added solutions based on customer requirements and working with a collaborative group of folks to to deliver, execute, and then manage a product line or yeah. a solution. It doesn't have to be. I'm a hardware guy, so I mean, I always explain it more in a hardware perspective. Uh, which sometimes is easier than a software perspective. I think people are more yeah. geared these days towards software. I mean, if you look at the, the companies that are up and all the jobs that are coming up in the vast majority are software-based versus hardware-based. I mean, well, just, I, I, I agree with that, but I think people struggle with the intangibility of software and the business model where, you know, it's at least when managing a business and having cost of goods sold and a bill of materials and that type of stuff for hardware, to me, sometimes can be more tangible when you're talking about managing a business. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to talk about variable costs in a hardware thing, not in a, as much as in software, which helps with the business side. Where uh, it's free. Yeah. Uh, May, uh, show them your actions, explain what it is, and I'll go to RE2 for that one. It's really hard to not to, to not click the uh, product management is lost button. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we did click. click that too. <laughs> so if we had ranked choice voting, that actually may have won. No, it would always be number two because yeah. it, it's, we, we can't, we can't give up. We cannot give up. We must fight. Uh, <laughs> it feels lost, but maybe it isn't yet lost. Um, I, I think it depends on the level you're explaining it, right? Like if you're explaining it to grandma, you probably want it simple. You probably want it, like you can use a metaphor. It doesn't really matter. But if you want your metaphor to, you want you want to explain it to someone who actually needs to understand, like if you're explaining it to your CEO or your CFO, what it is that your team does, I don't think it's enough to use a metaphor. I don't think it's enough to explain it in a simple manner. I think it's important to talk about your outcomes, which is complex, and also to talk about what the team actually does to achieve those outcomes. Um, and that like, I, it's so so here, here's one of the issues that I personally have with a lot of the content that's out there is that what people tend to consume are short articles. There are posts on LinkedIn, there may be Twitter threads, but it's easy to consume. It's short and you don't get the amount of depth needed to truly understand what it is that the people are saying. It it like feeds your ego a little bit and you're like, yes, this is a great point. And five minutes later, you have no idea what you read. 
right? It's, it's that process of learning and understanding deeper that really starts to connect the dots together. And I think it's a part of how humans learn. It's not even just like us as product managers, is how do we help the rest of the organization learn what it is that we do and how it is that we can help them? Um, so like for me, I, I really struggle with the idea of a simple explanation, partly because I don't know if there's value in it, um, yeah. except to maybe mm -hmm. like ha ask people to stop asking you questions, <laughs> you know, let, like it's like, let, let oh me, yeah, okay, that's cool. Yeah. Then you walk away. But let like, me put that my... doesn't lead to a, bit, a deeper discussion. Yeah, let me put my product management hat on. Maybe the problem is we didn't have a market or persona chosen for this, right? If you're explaining it to your grandma, like uh, Ari, simple metaphor may be the right thing. When you're explaining it to people in your company who don't understand what you do mm -hmm. or should be doing, you know, I easily could see that show them the actions. So you walk them through the process and help them figure that type of stuff out. I, I, I like that a lot. Uh, and I think we have to think about who we're explaining it to. And in some cases, simple makes sense. In some cases, you need to show them. So. Oh, yeah. I like that, May. And piggybacking on what May was saying, just that there, it's so deep, is one thing that makes it really hard to explain as well is it's almost like product management done best is a mindset. It's not a specific set of things you do or activities that need to happen. It's, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of approaching problems in a certain way and approaching collaboration and like and value in a certain way. And you can't, no matter what metaphor, no matter what series of steps, someone's either just going to take the steps and proceduralize them and turn them into a template that you don't think about, or going to totally miss the forest for the trees because the, the idea of the mind or the metaphor is so broad. I, I, I love that quote, product management done best as a mindset. And, and, and I want to keep that separate from product sense and that type of stuff that people try to push. But I think it is a, you know, a, a practice. It's a, it, it, but I, I like the mindset. Thank you, Ari. That's really good. Uh, Jason, you were other at the pens, but it felt like it was partly the, describe it simply in a concrete way, the way you, you put in the notes. Yeah, it, it kind of was. I was torn a little bit because I use the examples, but yeah. I, you know, I can, I can do it in just a couple of sentences, but it, then, then it gets very nuanced. And that's yeah. the difficult thing, because when you do it in a couple of sentences, people get a general idea. Yeah, I define, you know, you define what needs to be built and you ensure that it gets built and you ensure that it can go to market properly. OK, those are the three things. Yeah. There's a lot behind those three statements that, um, uh, that that needs to be done. And that's where I start throwing to examples. So it's just it's difficult is kind of the way I put it. And usually whenever I have a conversation with somebody, it always devolves into one area, whatever they're interested in. I had a conversation with a guy earlier this week and he wanted to know how, since I'm a software guy also, when you have a ton of technical debt, how you deal with that. And we kind of delved into that as a product leader, what you would do. And it's it's just interesting because really depending on where the people come from is where you end up diving. And like I said, examples are just sort of my go-to anyway. I think people can, 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 glom onto them and they tend to cross cultural boundaries pretty well as, as well. The guy I was talking to is actually from Australia. So. Well, and I'm thinking about, I think it's your example, but sometimes the, 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 and this is getting into show them with an example, weren't you the one that talked about having a computer device that was like at a construction site. And if you didn't bring the people out to see that, it, if the dirt and, and all the environmental stuff that were impacting that, or was that Rick? Oh, that was a while ago. Well, I, yeah. it could have been Rick because he and I worked together for a while and we both were on the same project. <laughs> but one of the things that we used to do is whenever it was, this is my previous employer, is whenever we had somebody go on site with a customer, we'd bring the entire team in and do a show and tell. We had a, a weekly Friday meeting and we'd have them coming in and doing a show and tell. And it really helped because we had, uh, we were doing vibration and, and condition monitoring and it was going on the side of an asphalt drum. And the tech that went out there brought back pictures to show about it. And he had his phone out with the current temperature on it. And he said, well, next to the drum, it's actually about 40 degrees warmer there. You have to understand that this thing is, the asphalt's rotating in the drum and it's getting vibrated constantly. So you have to design for those sort of realities. If you go and you put something on there that you designed that sits on your desk, it's not going to work in that environment. And it, 
And like I said, it could have been Rick. It could have been me because we were both there at the same time. So <laughs> I, 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 I like it. And I think that's part of the showing them in the real world, right? Give those examples where people can, Oh, wow. I didn't think about that. Right. Understanding all the, all the stuff. Oh, uh, it, showing them how it's used usually opens eyes. So. Yeah. Uh, Amy put into the chat, uh, you know, does this group advocate and use racy charts? Uh, thinking a metaphor coupled with a racy chart uh, can clarify things for a specific organization. Uh, I like the idea of that contact, Ari. Um, yeah, I was just gonna say, I uh, I'd be interested, Amy, to hear what you or what you mean about clarifying those things, what things for a specific organization. But it's an interesting idea. I would say I use racist charts somewhat frequently, but my main use is to kind of create separate use cases or personas for my stakeholders. So I can, as yeah. I'm determining like, hey, who needs to be communicative to and when, I just kind of set up a race and I'm like, okay, if this event happens or this thing happens, I know immediately who I need to talk to, what level of information I need to give, what method of communication I want to do. And I can see that concept applying to broader clarification, but I haven't thought about it in that way before. So I, definitely interested here. I, I like Racy. Uh, I've often recently been trying to push a different uh, analogy or metaphor for Racy. It's the, uh, uh, what was that Nanny McPhee movie with uh, Emma Thompson? And I feel like Racy is like Nanny McPhee because Nanny McPhee, for those who haven't seen it, it's a kid's, sort of a kid's movie, but I liked it. Uh, and the kids, she's ready to leave. And the kid's like, no, we don't want you to leave. And she goes, when you don't want me, but you need me, I'll be there. When you don't need me, but want me, I'm gone. And for me, that's racy, right? Teams don't want it, but need it is when you should be doing the racy to get things aligned. And then when the teams no longer need it because they're they're collaborating well, then it can go away and you don't need it. You can let the actual culture happen. May, did you like that analogy? Yes, I loved it because <laughs> I think that Racy is a fantastic tool to have a conversation because it is the reason why you pull out the Racy is because things aren't working. Um, you, things are not smooth, people aren't doing their work or what they perceive to be other people's work. Um, so you, you pull it out and you have a conversation about like, okay, this is the work that needs to be done. Let's just like figure out who does it. And you have all those arguments about this is not my job. And at the end of the day, you have something that's like kind of, you know, a thing that you agree on, maybe sort of, kind of, not really. Yeah. Uh, and then people go and do things and over time you improve. But like, if you use a RACI as a permanent tool, then it, it just becomes process. And people just cannot be creative when there is process. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I do want to get to, uh, Oops, I didn't move my slide. Uh, one quick question I want to go through. Uh, when explaining product management, what is the most important thing to cover, right? If we're going to explain it, if you only could get one point across, what point would you want to get across, Clint? What it is. <laughs> <laughs> go big. <laughs> I think that's the key thing, really defining what, what it is. I mean, it's... Uh... You know, we've talked a number of different times over a couple of weeks on, on what it is. And today was a great, you know, I think a great session to kind of get everybody's mindset around that. But and it's really important. What, you know, what are we as a product manager slash leader accountable for, responsible for delivering to the organization? Okay. Clint goes big and says the most important thing is just what it is. Jason. Well, that's hard to follow. Um, I guess if I, if I pick on something, it would be, um, I would, I would go with talk about creating a strategy that's actually executable by your company. Okay. Um, I've been in the middle of products and strategies that sound great and probably would solve customer problems, but the company has no ability to execute on it. 
And so that's why I add that caveat in there is, is I want to, I want to solve the next big thing, but I want to do it that my company can do it. So no, I, I love that. Uh, it's not just about visions and strategies. It's about feasibility and viability to do it. I got it. Ari. Yeah, I would say the most important thing to emphasize is that you have to solve problems and make sure they are actually solved. To go about solving problems and make sure they actually are solved. Because too often, I, one of the contexts there is too often you see products being built that don't actually solve problems or building things and then not measuring the outcome or the impact of that after it's after it's built. So thinking about problems, building solutions that actually solve those problems. No, and defining like defining the problem is also yeah. critical, right? Yes. I mean, there's yeah. so many you have to take a look at you've got so many problems. How do you prioritize and how do you make sure you're resolving the right problem? Because you can fix a problem, but it's a problem that nobody cares about. So making sure that it's the right problem is is also a critical element. So, so Clint, Clint is now in with what product management is and defining the problem. <laughs> May. So my go-to very short de definition of product management is we find out what is the most important thing we could be, we could possibly be doing with mm. what we have today. Mm -hmm. So it's really about customer outcomes, right? Um, it's like making decisions to drive customer outcomes and therefore business outcomes. Um, and I think it's important to, to bring it back to like the purpose we are here is to make decisions. The purpose we are here is to like make sure we're making the right decisions or make sure decisions get made. Like even if we're not the ones making decisions, making sure mm -hmm. decisions get made. And how do we do that? We go look at data. Um, yeah. We, you know, like, that's, we, we, so basically oh, yeah. outcomes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm going to build on that. It, it just actually use my thesaurus and come up with a word I used instead of outcome. I <laughs> outcome is overused and not understood. Uh, you know, maybe it rhymes. It, it, it's close enough to outputs and outcomes that it makes sense to change. To me, it's all about value. It's about product management is a value creation role, right? Our job is to identify those problems as Ari and, and Clint talk about to solve, uh, make sure that we are able to solve them as Jason talked about. And if we do that right, we create value, right? That's what Drucker talked about. That's what Drucker taught. We create value for our company, right? As uh, Alex Alstrad would say, when we create value for a company, we do it through a business model. We create value for the customer or the market through a value proposition. Uh, and that's sort of for me, I want to lead in and it's all about value creation. Uh, and uh, Ari, you have got your hand raised. Yeah, no, uh, you said the word outcome is overplayed. I agree. I use it all the time, but I agree. And I think in some ways it's one of those inside jokes that if you don't get it, you don't get it. Um, and yeah. it can mean a lot of different things. I, I, my, my question is, is the word value also overplayed and a little bit of an inside joke. I also use it all the time. I I use it all the time, but I don't know if it makes a lot of sense for people that don't get the joke. I look at, I use value add more than value to try to show that it's, it's something that's you can provide as differentiation. Yeah, I, I'm all open for a different word from outcome or value. As many of you guys know, I'm a Drucker I, or Drucker head is, you know, is that what the right thing is? I'm a parrot head for a Jimmy Buffett. So I'm a Drucker head for Peter Drucker. Uh, whatever it is, <clears throat> he, he defines it as creation of value, right? And so I, I tend to lean back to that. Oh, oh that, that was a legitimate, that was not me challenging you. That was a real- <laughs> No, I know. I, I'm, I open to, I, I'm, I'm, open to, like, I'm open to I different words. Uh, Amy, before we move to the wrap up, any thoughts on this? Well, I guess what I would say is I kind of try to say, well, first of all, I'm in the outcome camp, but I would always do kind of the qualification that the definition is fluid and based on context. So I've been a regular product manager and I've also been an AI machine learning product manager. And that really got me to that place because when you're a regular product manager, there's like the product owner, there's Scrum, 
and there's you in engineering. When you are in the AI machine learning space, there is the data engineer, there's the software engineer, there's the data scientist, and there's the PO. And sometimes you really just don't want the data scientists cleaning their own data. So long story short, I'll just state that it is very context specific and that you have to have a pretty straightforward discussion because sometimes all of the people in the room know Python, but you really only for the task at hand, given the way their, their job in that organization, you only want them doing certain tasks, example. And that's just taking one skill out of a multitude that exists in product in software companies. And so I always say that you have to decide and do context in order to figure out who's going to own it what the like the OKRs and the KPIs in order to back into outcome. And then just doing an empty kind of template without recognizing, well, hey, our data engineers don't know Python. We have to work around them. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. And actually, in May, I'm looking at your 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 quote, your, your post oh. in the chat. <laughs> okay. It, well, thank you, it, May. It is about context. And maybe that's the most important thing for product management for us to share is it's about context. It's about knowing the context of the situation. It's about providing the right context for the situation. Because uh, yeah. that's what our job is, is context. You know what we say? It depends. It depends, <laughs> I know. All right, I'm gonna, we're gonna do a quick sort of key takeaways uh, for this to wrap it up. Jason, your key takeaways from this conversation or learnings. I'm jealous of May having worked at these organizations that have really good product management skills. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not, or at least at least her fantasy of them. One of the two. Yeah. Build it together. Yeah, Clint. Uh, I've learned a couple different ways to tell people about uh, how we manage, uh, how we define product management. So we've got chef, we've got all sorts of, we've got fan, we've got all sorts of new and interesting ways to communicate the the value that we bring. Clint's getting to describing, and the chef has a fan in the. <laughs> Amy. I thought my fan on the Roomba's <laughs> Oh, I would just say um, I'm thrilled and honored and delighted to attend my first meeting. And you guys were all wonderful. I loved well, this dialogue. We so we haven't scared her away. That's good to hear. Ari. Uh tell you what, it may not really be possible to explain product management in a one or two sentences. <laughs> I uh gosh, I think you might be right. <laughs> My friend May. It's not lost, but it's yeah. just hard to hard to describe. It depends. My, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly how you that's, that's how you describe who, it. Who's your audience? Who's your audience? Yeah. Um, uh, when you're describing it, think about how deep do you need to go. Yeah, I I I agree. Uh, my biggest takeaway is: Are there any other professions? that are having conversations about how do we describe what we do, right? Or is that just a product management thing? See, you know, FP&A people don't have to describe what they do. Accountants don't have to describe what they do. Actuaries. Actuaries, okay, maybe they do. Yeah. But then they're going to give you a formula that we don't understand anyway. But well, I, maybe it's they can't explain it. Yeah, true. <laughs> Consultants would be a good one. But I feel like, you know, maybe maybe this is part of the maturity of product management. Once we can figure out how to explain to other people how what it is, That'll give us to a better place. So, gosh, what a great conversation. Amy, thank you for coming in and bringing your insights. We hope we see you on future ones. Uh, Jason, Clint, Ari, uh, May, always got a pleasure to talk with people, to learn, gain new perspectives. Hopefully, each of you have as well. A uh, couple things. We're going to move to every other week now. So instead of next week, it's going to be in two weeks. And, you know, this might be interesting to you, Amy, since you have an AI machine learning background. We did an AI one sort of what's the AI impact on product management about six months ago, <clears> right <throat> when ChatGPT came out. This is going to be a little more specific about what are the use cases in product management? How are you seeing people use AI uh, in large language models, whatever you want to do it? And uh, that's going to be where it is. We've had a lot of people asking us about uh how people are best using AI. We thought maybe we'd bring it to the group and happen there. So it's not a Monday, like in a, a couple of days, but in a Monday, second Monday, whatever, we'll do that. Uh, and we'll do, we'll do that. So 
And we do this every week. Uh, Amy, this is in the community. We'll put the question. Uh, you'll get notification. It'll be there. What? We do this every other week. Every other week. Sorry. We do this every other week. I, my talk track is still in my head. We're going to be doing this every other week. Uh, the question goes in on Monday. Paul goes in on Wednesday in these wonderful conversations on Friday. So guys, thank you so much for an amazing conversation. Amy, so glad to have you enjoy uh, yourself here. And uh, we'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take care. Have a good weekend. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Product Conversations, brought to you by Product Group Leaders. Product Growth Leaders helps product leaders and their teams remove the chaos from product management and achieve product success on purpose. For more great content and to learn how we do this or to join the conversation, visit us at productgrowthleaders.com. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And join us next week for another episode.